But today's scripture comes from John 10. Uh, it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before him, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The word of the Lord. Dear Lord, thank you for being able to come here today. We would pray that you would be with Andrew and give him the words to speak that you know will touch our hearts best. And please touch our hearts before Andrew speaks so that we will be receptive, we will be attuned and in tune with all that he has to say so that your words through him may change our lives and make you better witnesses to the world. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Missions Emphasis uh, Month, we're taking the month of February, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, of course, all of life uh, for the Christian is mission. Uh, we can't draw close to Christ without being compelled, propelled uh, to, to share that good news, the Lausanne Covenant, sort of a worldwide evangelical Christian movement, says a church that is not a missionary church is contradicting itself. Uh, we're, we're not just a club, right? Church, by very definition, is missionary, and we quench the Holy Spirit. Uh, Ralph Winter, who's a, a relatively well-known missiologist, uh, this is kind of one of those uh, quotes you got to think about for a minute. He says, the Bible is not the basis of missions, but missions is the basis of the Bible. And I think what he's talking about there is he's talking about the very mission of God to come to this world uh, in the person of Jesus Christ to give us his, his word. I mean, that's what it's about. It's not that we had something and now we have more of it. It's that we were lost. And we're going to talk about that as we go this morning. And we had to be drawn in. So the Bible itself, that, uh, that book that just causes us to, to rejoice, uh, is, is missions. It, it's based on missions. There are famous uh, folks over the years who have just been caught up in this or some of their biographies out on the table here on the north door. Hudson Taylor, famous missionary to China. He said, if I had a thousand lives to live, I would give everyone for China. 
uh, just so captured by the, the people made in God's image, so captured by the message uh, that he had received and the mercy that he had received. To know the will of God, says William Carey, missionary to India, all we need is an open Bible and an open map. You know, so much are our lives uh, given to the cause of Christ that open the Bible, open the map, that's the will of God, uh, wherever He would send us. And of course, as we, you know, bringing us sort of in focus of where we've been in our series, Jesus being the I Ams and listening to the self-revelation uh, of who Jesus is, uh, Henry Martin, who was a missionary in, also in India, also in like the, the Middle Eastern region, he said, the spirit of Christ is the spirit of missions. The nearer we get to him, the more intensely missionary we become. And, and that's, what we're, that's what we're about here this morning. You know, as we come to John chapter 10, we're going to be focusing on verses 7 to 10, particularly we read the first couple of verses for context, but we want to get close to Jesus. We, we want to get so dusty, you know, that as he walks, the very dust from his feet kicks up and, and settles on us. We because we know that as we draw close to him, that is what is going to change our hearts. It's not an ideology. It's not a philosophy. It's not something that we just take in through our heads. But it's discipleship. It's following him. It's being close to him. And as we think about mission, it's being driven by the intensely personal Jesus Christ. And so that's our goal. As we come to John chapter 10, uh, we're continuing sort of that narrative that we started in John chapter 8, that Addison started for us a couple of weeks ago, talking about Jesus as the light of the world. We saw John chapter 8, John chapter 9, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. John 9, we have the healing of the man born blind. This is uh, the narrative all the way through. Uh, John chapter 8, as we saw last week, Jesus also said, before Abraham was, I am. And he is trying to speak to the crowds, but in particular, he's engaging with the religious leaders who just aren't, will not believe that Jesus is who he says he is. Uh, they have got their system. We're Abraham's children. Like, that's their source of identity. That's where they're throwing their chips. That's what they are absolutely committed to. Uh, and they will not accept that Jesus is who he says he is. And so we see at the end of chapter 9, Jesus says to them, you know, if you were blind, you'd have no guilt. Uh, but you say, we see, and, and your guilt remains. And then he goes on uh, immediately, John 10, verse 1, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the sheepfold is a thief and a robber. So sometimes I think we're unhelped by these uh, chapter divisions. And if you take chapter 10 separate from where we've been at chapter 9, you're going to miss something. Uh, and, and what Jesus is saying here is that this system that you're committed to, you know, you say we are children of Abraham and you are causing, you're resting your identity on that. That's, that's, a, that's a false system. These are people that are entering the sheepfold in a different 
way, and, and you're being led astray, and these are not people that, uh, or this is not a philosophy that is healthy for you. You need to find, uh, you need to find your truth in me. And he uses this image, says in verse 6 there, this figure of speech. This is not an allegory uh, per se. He's not saying the sheepfold equals this, you know, in the way that you might have with Pilgrim's Progress where everything is completely allegorical. But it, it's, it's just more of a metaphor. And there's a couple of different truths that Jesus wants us to grasp uh, out of this picture. The picture is uh, in an ag agrarian society. People are out tending their flocks or herding their sheep. Uh, and oftentimes they would take them outside the village, of course, to find pasture. And then in the evening, they would bring them back into the village. And there was one sh central sheepfold uh, in the village. It had a gate, and everybody would go in and out of that gate. All of the sheep would mingle there. And then in the morning, the shepherds would come. And uh, they would use their own particular call or their own particular voice. The sheep would respond to that, and then they would gather their flock, and they would lead them out. Night, they hired usually a gatekeeper who would kind of sleep in the gate and, and keep all the thieves and robbers out. And so thieves and robbers would have to come in. One of the things that Jesus wants to do is he wants to distinguish him as the good shepherd from the thieves and the robbers. We're going to look at that more closely uh, in a couple of weeks as we come back in verse 11. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. But what he also wants them to see, and this is so important for the communication that he is giving to these religious leaders, is that they are seeking salvation. They're seeking abundant life in ways that are inevitably a dead end, that are never going to lead them to the thing that they are seeking. They are seeking it through their religious obedience. They are seeking it through uh, Old Testament Judaism. They are seeking it through keeping the law, uh, but they are not seeking it in, in Jesus. And Jesus says, I am the door. And that's what I want to unfold for you this morning. You know, what Jesus is saying when he says, I am the door, and how it speak, spoke to them, how it speaks to us, uh, and, and this morning, you know, how it connects with mission, uh, because this is really important for us to understand. So first of all, I'm going to change the outline a little bit, uh, just to keep you on, the toe, on your toes, and we're going to do point two first. Uh, so Jesus says, I am the door, and it's a door that leads to life. Doors lead somewhere, uh, unless you're in a fantasy novel where you find a door out in the middle of the field and it doesn't appear to lead to somewhere and it leads to another world or something like that. Doors typically lead somewhere. They're through a wall. They lead from the hallway into this room. Uh, they lead into the cellar. They lead all sorts of different places. Doors lead somewhere. And what Jesus is saying here is that I am a door that leads to life. Uh, you as religious leaders, you as Jewish people under Roman oppression, uh, us in our current context, we want to know what is the secret to life? What is the secret to happiness? And Jesus says a couple of things about this. First of all, he says uh, the door leads to salvation. You see that in verse 9. 
where Jesus says, uh, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and he will go in and out and find pasture. Saved. This is something that we have, uh, we said at the very beginning, you know, when we looked at John chapter 20, and we looked at uh, John's purpose for writing the book, these things are written that you may know Jesus Christ as the Son of God, uh, and that by believing in him, you may have life in his name. And we said throughout the book of John, there are two aspects of this life. The first is what uh, we see here, that you would be saved. Saved from what? Well, think about John 3.16, the passage that we used for our, uh, our declaration of forgiveness today. Uh, God sent his only begotten son into the world that whoever would believe on him should not perish but have everlasting life. The reality that John wants us to see, the reality that Jesus wants us to see, the reality that Jesus wanted the religious leaders to see was that their, their lives were hanging by a thread. Like there is real peril of everlasting death, everlasting separation from the God who created us. This is not just a matter of a humanitarian mission in order to make your life a little better, my life a little better. This is not just a Peace Corps initiative in order to bring fresh water to people who are thirsty. This is a matter of absolute life and death. Without, uh, without believing in Jesus, without entering through the door, you perish. And you, you will be separate from forever from the one who loves you. So this is a, a very, obviously this is something that as Christians we would say this is the most important thing. When we think about like why we do missions, this is why. Uh, you know, we, we obviously want to come with mercy and, and help people's lives and all of those different things, but at the heart of it, it's, it's our eternal relationship with God. It's, it's the truth. Jesus says you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, sometimes this is hard for us to hear, and, and you know modern ears don't, don't love this because we, we want to feel that we are special, and we want to feel that we don't have this kind of separation but Jesus, again, he says, the truth will set you free. I think you know that if you go to the doctor, you want them to tell you the right diagnosis. Like if you have cancer, you don't want them to tell you it's the flu. Uh, you you want to know what you have uh, so that you can face it, so that you can take the appropriate measures. You don't treat cancer with a flu shot. Uh, we, we want to deal with it properly, and that's what Jesus is saying here. First of all, when you think about where this door leads, it leads to salvation. Secondly, he says, uh, you'll go in and out and find pasture. And then he says in verse 10, I've come that they might have life and that they might have it abundantly. This is something that the scriptures promise us. You know, while the message of the gospel at its core is about a right relationship with God, uh, the promise is that for those who have a right relationship with God, there is a rest. There is a contentedness. There is a joy 
that fills us and that transforms our experience of life. I mean, so many folks, uh, and, and even those who are believers, we experience this as we, um, as we don't lean or abide in Jesus Christ. Uh, we, we experience sort of the frenetic discontentedness uh, that goes along with the world. And, and Jesus says, I've, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. Now, that doesn't mean that, you know, you suddenly become wealthy, that, uh, you know, all your diagnosis goes away, that you're not going to struggle with asthma or, you know, a bad back or any of these different things. But what Jesus says is that there is a way of living as sheep, that despite the circumstances, uh, you can know joy and rest in the shepherd. I love the way that Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, verse 5, uh, where he, he actually uses the same term abundantly. He says, for as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings. So this is the reality. Uh, the Christian gospel isn't something that is apart from suffering. But Paul says, as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings through Christ." we also share abundantly in his comfort. You see, this is the promise of life. We go in and go out. Paul isn't talking about, or I'm sorry, Jesus isn't, uh, again, this is where it's important to recognize that this is not an allegory. We don't go in and out of our relationship with Christ. We don't go in and out of, you know, belonging to him or anything like that. So general Semitic uh, sort of expression that talks about our way of life, to go in and out and find pasture. It's very similar to what we said last week. We, we abide in Jesus. You know, as he becomes our way of life, we find that belonging to him uh, gives us the strength, gives us the confidence, gives us the peace uh, to extend uh, and to go through life. Now, the second thing that we note here, and this is the first thing in your outline, is that Jesus promises that he is the door to this life, but then he says, I am the door to life. He doesn't say, I am a door. He, he says, I am the door. I am the only single way that you can come into life. Jesus will say this very similarly in John chapter 14, verse 6, where he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, here is, you know, what we know as sort of the exclusivity of the gospel. Like, we can think about people all over the world, and unless they know Jesus, the Bible is saying, unless they enter through the door, uh, they, they don't find life. Now, many of you right away are troubled by that. Um, our, our culture is troubled by that, that assertion, and I think for good motives. I mean, we, we don't want to seem prideful uh, as, as a people. We, we don't want to seem elitist in, in any way. Um, we, we really care about people. We don't like to tell people that they're wrong. So, again, I think there are good things driving some of our, our cultural 
predispositions. But again, let's, let's just go back and, and say that the truth is actually the most loving thing that we can give somebody. And, and Jesus is here saying, I, I am the only way. And, and when we start to think about it, we, we realize that there is always going to be some sort of faith commitment that is needed, whatever your ideology Many people have, have sort of deconstructed our, our current ideology that says there, there are many ways to Jesus. Some of you may be picked up on the fact that uh, the most recent uh, congressional session was open. Uh, a fellow who is an ordained Methodist minister prayed, and, and he prayed in the name of the monotheistic God, Brahma, and gods of any other name. You know, this was, this was his, his prayer. But you stop to think about that, and it's just, it doesn't make sense. Like, like the, the truth claims that Jesus makes are, are so exclusive. And, and so if, if what Jesus is saying is true, uh, how can Brahma or other gods be worshipped alongside of those? And incidentally, there, there are exclusive truth claims in Islam and, you know, a number of other religions. So, you know, the idea that they can all be right, it's just, it's, it's hard to understand that from a logical perspective. And just even that idea itself, and, and again, guys like Tim Keller and Reason for God and, and so many other folks have just said, you have to understand that when you make those statements that all ways are, uh, will get you to the mountaintop, all ways are equally valid, that in itself is a truth claim. That in itself is something that takes faith to believe in. And, and it's so culturally bound, like, you know, to 21st century Western culture. Uh, and, and if we don't sort of reckon with this, we're, we're not really being honest and we're not really being fair. So Jesus says, I, I am the way. A and we have to reckon with that. And one of the things that I would say is, uh, uh, you know, we, we rest in the fact that Jesus speaks the truth to us. You know, and, and the truth will actually set us free, as he said in John chapter 8. The other thing that I would just point out, and that inasmuch as Jesus' claims here are exclusive, I am the way, notice how inclusive they are. Look again at chapter nine, or at verse 9 there, where Jesus says, I am the door if anyone enters by me. He will be saved, and he will go in and out and find pasture. So as soon as Jesus sort of exclusively says, I am the door, he flings that door wide open, doesn't he? And he says, if anyone, if anyone comes to me, no matter the color of their skin, no matter their ethnicity, and again, this was such a problem for the Jews that Jesus is speaking to. Uh, no matter where they've been, whether they are the socially elite, whether they're the underclass, whether they're stained by sin, defiled, whether they think that they've got their stuff all together, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And this is part of the story that I think we really need to grasp and we really need to understand. It was helped by Josh Chatra. Uh, he has a book called Telling a Better Story. 
And uh, his sort of impetus in that is, you know, as Christians so often, we tend to be back on our heels and tend to be defensive, talk about things like exclusivity or talk about things like hell or something like that. And we, we tend to feel put upon. And he says, we don't need to feel that way. Because our story is really the best story that there is. And I think this is a great example of it. Because yes, Jesus does make some exclusive claims. But contra to almost every other world religions, you know, we see an inclusivity in the gospel that is part, it, it, none. I mean, there's nothing else that lines up to it with it. Here's how Chatra puts it. He says, from the outside, outset, the gospel was proclaimed both as exclusive and all-inclusive in that while Jesus is the only way to salvation, the salvation made possible through Jesus is extended to all people, not just the elite or to a people from a certain culture. Uh, one of the features that set apart Christianity from other religions in the ancient world was its trans-ethnic and trans-local quality addressing males and females on all social levels. We looked at this a couple of years ago. We looked at Romans chapter 16, that list of people that Paul has there, and we said, here are Greeks and Romans and Jews, here are slaves, free, noble, men, women, all of these people existing in the fellowship. It was not like anything else in the ancient world. In other words, one of Christianity's unique features in its original ancient context was that while it denied that its God could be worshipped along with other gods, it attracted people from all sorts of regions, ethnicities, and races. So you do not need to be defensive about Christianity at all. Uh, Christianity is wonderfully, wonderfully inclusive in the best sense of the word. Uh, it, all are welcome to come and to find pasture in Jesus, Jesus Christ. Chatra goes on to say, the proof is in the pudding. Uh, today, Christianity is still proving to be remarkably inclusive and is the most geographically diverse belief system in the world. Its growth in the non-Western world is incredible. More Christians attend church in China than all of Europe. East Asia uh, has over 171 million Christians, which is 10.5% of its population. Africa has over 630 million Christians, which is 49.5% of its population. Furthermore, while other hubs of major religions remain in the same places in which those religions were founded, Christianity's geographical center has quite remarkably migrated throughout its history. This migration further testifies to Christian, Christianity's uh, unique transcultural message. For these reasons, it isn't hyperbole to describe Christianity as the most culturally, racially, ethnically, and socioeconomically diverse worldview in history. You see, we don't have to be defensive at all uh, about what, what Christianity is and what its claims are, but we can be wonderfully inviting if in the same way that Jesus is. I am the door. If anyone comes and enters by me, he will find life, uh, be saved, and find, go in and go out 
and find pasture. And Jesus can say this because, uh, and this is the third thing that I want to emphasize for you, uh, contrary to so many other religions, which are basically ideologies and philosophies, Christianity is centered around a person. Jesus says, I am the door. I am the door. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is, again, one of the things that sets Christianity apart from other world religions. It's, it's not just adherence to a philosophy or an idea, but it's an invitation to come to somebody who, who lived among us, who took on human flesh, who was the missionary uh, that came to rescue a people that desperately needed him. We come to Jesus. Again, to, to quote Chatra, he says, um, at the core, Christianity is a person who is not a political figure asserting coercive authority or an elite philosopher looking down on the unenlightened or a spiritual guru affirming others in their misguided quest. Instead, the heart of our story is a person whose love drove him to teach that there are paths that, if chosen, will ruin you. It's Jesus' love that tells us he is the only way. In his love, he warns against the brutality of false gods, false stories, false identities, and he offers himself as the true God and the true way. And what Chatra goes on to say is his way, and think about this, his way doesn't lead to the shedding of any blood except his own. And this is what is so beautiful and compelling about our story. Our story says there is a God who loves us so much that he would leave his throne in heaven, that he would pursue a rebellious and broken people, and, and he would become sin in our place, that he would be broken, that he, his blood would be shed for us. You know, when you think about doors, you know, we're walking through doors and construction going on all over the place here. You look at the kitchen, we sealed up a door there, we sealed up a door on the other side, and then we created a door uh, into the lobby. And that took some work. Uh, and there were cupboards that had to be pour, torn out. We had to, you know, bust through the framing, cut that up. There were wires that had to be moved. There's all kinds of stuff. It's a painful process to create a door. Right? And in Jesus' case, it's a painful process to become a door. Uh, he had to become sin in order that he could bear the wrath of God against that sin, in order that he could become a door. And as we come to the table a little bit later, we're going to remember that he became sin. He became a door. That was his work that had to be done. And, and that, uh, that is what we come to when we come to Jesus the last thing that I'll just note for you is that as we come to Jesus to really experience him, we have to be like him. And so what does that mean? 
Well, that means that it took death to, for Jesus to be the door, right? Uh, it, it took his death in order for him to open up the gateway into heaven so that we might have life. In the same way, it's going to take our death in order to enter in at the narrow gate, uh, to enter into the door that is Jesus. And this is one of the things that makes it so hard. This is why the gate is narrow. Let me share with you the words of Robert Capon. He says, the narrow door, the tight squeeze in front of an absolutely free salvation is faith in Jesus's death. Now, he gets a little English on us here. Jesus does not set up 10,000 tricky wickets uh, for you cricket players there and threaten to admit to heaven only the aces who can negotiate every one of them. No, rather, Jesus has put smack in the front of our Father's house of many mansions one scant doorway, which is his death and ours. Its forbidding narrowness lies not in the fact that it's so small that it's hard to find. Rather, its forbidding narrowness lies in the fact that it's so repulsive that it's hard to accept. It lets in the riffraff since they are accustomed to death and all they have to do is die. It offends the classy. It offends the put together. It offends the enlightened and the elite because they wouldn't be caught dead entertaining such a proposition. The door actually abolishes the exclusivity of narrowness and throws wide the door uh, of an inclusive gospel. How does he, what does he mean by that? He says, all of the suction in the universe, all of the drawing by which the word woos creation back to be his bride is through the narrow door of death. You may run from it, you may fight it, you may protest it, you may hate it, all in the name of what you call life. But if ever once you just slip up, or if ever once you just give up and lay down and die in your fantastic struggle to live your way to your eternal home, if ever you will simply drop dead before the Lord and say, in you alone I can find life. If that's what we do, then you'll find that you have entered the door, the same door that Jesus gave as his life in order to redeem ours. Brothers and sisters, this is good news. And, and, and my, my uh, uh, what's the right word, invitation, call, my hope for you is, is that you are not trying to prove yourself to God. Moralism, you know, giving enough money, uh, any of these different things, keeping all the rules, checking all the boxes, but that you are willing to heed the words of Jesus to come and die. To, to take up your cross. That doesn't mean that you live a life of, of self-denial. It means that you quit. You quit trying to prove yourself to God and accept that he has done it already for you. I am the door, Jesus says. Margaret Pope 
She says this, I imagine myself walking to Jesus, shoulders hunched, hanging my head, bearing the weight of all my bad decisions. And I imagine Jesus lovingly inviting me to pour it out before him, every last bit. He reminds me that I am his beloved. And he tells me to lift up his face because I am the daughter of a king. I'm a daughter of a king who welcomes me home with open arms. He asked me to remember him and his work, not my sin, not my shame. And after all that, after he sees all of my messes, he tells me to rest. Not run around and clean up, not work myself to the bone to get back in his good graces, but to rest, to enter by the door and be saved, to go in and to go out and to find pasture. I'm going to invite uh, Susan and Carly and Tucker to come uh, and lead us in a hymn that I hope will help you to prepare to come to the Lord's table because you're coming to the table of a king who lifts, us, lifts up our face and says, Son, daughter, come. Know the rest that you can only find in me.